Welcome to Heads Up Hockey. It is all things hockey talk and all things centric around the game. And it's also New Jersey Devils talk as well. And please enjoy the show. Testing, testing. There we are. Okay. I can hear you. You can hear me. All right. How how well? I've got another set of headphones. You can't hear me real well. I, I can hear you very well. Excellent. Perfect. Yeah, I got my AirPods in, so you can hear me? Yes. I can. Yep. I, I hear I hear you perfectly. Perfect. Then we're we're All good right. to go. All right. So there you go. You're the Sioux guy. Yep. I've actually I've actually got this Sioux table I made in a woods class a few years ago. You know what? I'll send a picture of it. I'll I'll show you how big a That's, fan I am. Eh? <laughs> yeah. Pretty sure you're a big, very big Besser and Zajac guy and Kane. Mm-hmm. No, Taves, Taves rather, I meant. <laughs> I screwed up on my yeah. Blackhawks. <laughs> but, uh... Taves, Preezy, Brock Nelson. Um, who else? You got so article. many. Mm-hmm. You got so many other guys out there. TJ Oshie. Warsaw, War Roads, Minnesota, if I recall correctly. Yep, War Road, Minnesota, yep. Yeah, how far is that from you? Uh, it's farther than I thought it was. It's um, so we're about uh, sixty miles from the Canadian border, right? But um, it's actually north and then uh, east. So there's so it's two and a half hours. It's it's like if I were going to like Duluth, I would just want to go like straight east, go to uh, Duluth. Oh, so. That explains your familiarity with University of Minnesota Duluth. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I'm still upset that uh, um, I forget his name. Puch Puchnevich. No. Oh, Pru- Pavel Buchnevich? No, no uh, Pru- Scott Prunovich. He he's oh. the one that got the hobby. Oh, the one that um, that got signed by the Blues. That's right. Yeah, I heard about him because of Grinelli on uh, Spitting Chiglets. Sure. But yeah, he, so, so, so Prunovich, um, he got six goals and 34 assists, whereas Jordan Kawaguchi got 15 goals and 30 assists. So hmm. Kawaguchi got more points, but they gave it to Prunovich. So Perunovich really was the cause of uh, Kawaguchi's success. Yeah, I guess, I guess I got that right. I was trying to mm-hmm. cross all the X's and the O's off, <laughs> but it, the, the, the sound quality is coming pretty good. The connection is pretty good. So, yeah, good, good, good. We passed the three minute mark. That's great. All right, <laughs> here we go. Twenty three more minutes, and then uh, we'll have Charlie on. All right. Um, All right. So, do you, do you just want to keep keep going, or you just want to? Uh, ah, you know what? I mean, I was I, gonna I'd be cool with just hanging out. I mean, yeah. cool just like hanging around for another twenty and then hopping back on. <laughs> well, yeah, I was gonna say uh, we could we could keep going, but um, I would just want to start off going. Uh, this is your first 
time on Heads Up Hockey, um, not just New Jersey Devils, but also all things hockey related. Um, I want to introduce you to uh, the listeners. I want I want you to tell them how you got uh, into the puck authority. Sure. Um, well, my name's uh, Parker Warner, um, and uh, I before I worked at uh, Puck Authority, um, I worked at uh, Overtime Heroics, and that's uh, uh, Armand. Um, he uh, reached out to me and said, hey, I've seen some of your writing, and I was wondering if you wanted to uh, write for the Puck Authority. And then I said, sure, you know, I'd like to you know, build my resume. Um, and so I, I uh, joined them. And, uh, yeah, um, just, well, what, yeah. So what was interesting is, uh, it, it's been almost a month since you've been with TPA. Um, when I started writing for TPA, they found out about me because I started doing this podcast. It was originally called the Jersey Joe corner, um, at the time. And it was like before it was during the, NHL season so they saw that I had some writing also with uh, it was Pucks and Pitchforks which is a New Jersey Devils blog on Fansided so they you know they of course saw and they read it and uh, Justin Levine the editor um, he reached out to me and asked if I would like to join and I got a private DM and I joined so it was a, yeah, it was an interesting know. moment. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I'm not I'm not a stranger to podcasting. Uh, I did a um, back when I was down in uh, Central Minnesota. Um, I did a podcast with my buddy uh, Austin, and um, that was kind of for their overtime heroics. And then it's like a football based podcast because he's a very he's, uh, my my friend is very versed in the world of football, and so we we did that for solid six months um and then we both got jobs and became adults so that kind of <laughs> um that uh, Pretty... went out the window but um it was it was fun while it, while it lasted yeah so um tell the the listeners about your first couple articles um well the first few, for uh, for uh tpa or for for, uh, for overtime heroics back for for well you can start with um overtime heroics a little bit more yeah so um originally i got into overtime heroics um because they were just starting off they were, they were like two months old and i just jumped in and i started i started doing some football articles and some like some vikings stuff just some simple you know get dip my toes in the water to start out um, and then uh, I realized, you know, I really liked writing, uh, about hockey and, you know, that was cause there's so much to talk about in, in hockey, whether it's like off season and arguing about, you know, the, the, the value of contracts. I, I, I see that a lot, um, or general like GM stuff and like how <laughs> that's like how my see like GMs have the hardest job in coaching in, in or not coaching in the, in, in hockey, in my opinion, or in any sport. Um, but yeah, I really started, um, uh, just vibing with Matthew Zader and like, uh, 
uh, doing like ho- hockey stuff and got way into hockey because I got more more family that's like into hockey than in, in any other sport. So kind of just gradually into more hockey. And then I joined a, a TPA and then mm-hmm. I did um, some UND article. Or, no, not a UND article. What did I do? Uh, Vancouver versus Minnesota. And I just I released uh, uh, the Dave Evison uh, article yesterday, the 13th. And he's the new coach of? Uh, the Minnesota Wild. They uh, so, took the, the interim tag off of that. And so tell us about him that, you know, listeners should be aware of. Um. I don't have the exact number, but I think, I think his, um, when he coached for the Milwaukee Admirals, um, for the West, for the Western Hockey League, I believe. Um, or the, sorry, was it the AHL? I'm thinking AHL. Yeah. Yeah. AHL. He used to coach for the Western Hockey League. Then he became a coach for the Milwaukee Admirals. Right. Um, it was like two, two sixty-one wins, uh, like one hundred and forty-one losses, and fifty-three ties. I think I might be off by a couple wins and losses there, but you know, about a hundred more wins and losses. So, um, you know, that's that's why the the Wild took him on as assistant coach to to uh, Boudreaux, and then you know Boudreaux just couldn't find the spark like he did uh, in, the fir- in his first couple years. You know, if, if, if you go back, he was really good with Anaheim. And everybody in Minnesota is really, you know, hyped to have, you know, a smart guy like Boudreau, um come in. And he was pretty good for a couple years. And there was injuries for the most part. But then as he kept going and injuries were not as common, um, it just came out so he just couldn't find his rhythm and he couldn't really, um, I don't want to say he couldn't coach, but. <laughs> well, might've lost his touch. Right. He lost his touch. That's a better way to put it. Um, and then uh, they got rid of him in February. Um, and then uh, uh, Everson came in. I think that's how, I think that's how you say it. Everson. I've only seen it written, but um he was eight and four before the shutdown, and then uh, they took the interim tag off of him before um, August first when hockey gets back. Yeah, it it's kind of funny. Like um, when the fir- when the first couple months started, uh, John Hines was still the coach of the New Jersey Devils, and he's basically been the the rebuild coach. I would refer to him at this point in history. For the Devils, he did get a lot of wins over several years span, but um, he pretty much wore out his welcome in the last two months. And if you look at the last two losses to the Rangers and the Sabres, um, my buddy at the time on this podcast, our anonymous guy told us that Hines lost 60% of the room, which 40% didn't say much about but you can pretty much see the reason why he was gone is that not only did he lose the room he lost guys like hall and stuff like that 
And so the communication and the disruption just wasn't there anymore. And there was a lot of uh, things going on at the point. And they, they brought, and they brought in Nazardine to be the interim uh, coach at the point. And around, if I think correctly, it was against Tampa Bay, like 90 minutes before puck drop. Um, I was just leaving work and Ray Shearer was fired. And the, the, the phrase was ownership and Shiro parted ways, which is a euphemism in journalism, if you understand that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, recently, Lindy Ruff was hired for the next couple seasons. Um, another article came out, not on me, but someone else did on NJ.com saying that this is the hire for now because, you know, he's at that point in his career where this is probably his last bit. Right. And um, it's, it's strange. Cause like it was like last summer um, they signed Subban and um, you know, you're thinking okay, it wasn't so signing. Like, it was, it was, a, it was a trade and they right signed Gusev after they traded for him. If right. that's what you're trying to you got trying to remember, right? You know you got guys like uh, uh, Nita Ryder, former Wild guy, um, and and Taylor Hall at the time, and Heisher and uh, Palmieri. So you've got these. We you know, we never had Nita Ryder though. We have Nita Ryder is Swiss though. I will give you that, <laughs> but he is a great player. Um, I I. I heard about him in trade rumors. Uh, Nita Ryder, past few years, Devils were looking for him. Oh shoot! You know you're right. He plays. He plays for Carolina. I don't know where Nita Ryder came in. Sorry about that. Um, you yeah. Um, he used to be with the Islanders. He's with Carol. Since, yeah. Wait, since when is since when is Nita with the Islanders? Uh, Nita Ryder was there years ago. He was one of those players that you kind of like uh, know how to get up in your team, but you can't really play him as many minutes. Um, let me double check. Yeah, he's, he's really like a third round guy, or third, not third round, third line, third line yeah. guy. Um, that's he, he that's was drafted the fifth overall, so 2010, by the New York Islanders. Oh, gotcha. And now he's with the yeah. – he's a um, he's a 27-year-old, 218-pound, 6'2", right wing for the Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah, I'm thinking black and blue. That's why That's why, That's why. why I thought. <laughs> Peter Ryder. It, it's easy to get confused. <laughs> I, su- I swear they have to change those jerseys in Carolina back to the old uh, – what was it? The Hartford Green – Hartford Whalers, yeah. Yeah, I prefer they look like that than uh, than those uh, mimicking jerseys. I don't, I don't know if there's any whales in uh, in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Care- <laughs> no, I'm just saying they need to change the jersey to green, though. <laughs> they, yeah, just, just get a mix. They, they, you, you could keep the hurricane on it, but you can still keep the green and the blue. There you go. And cha- and change the horn. 
Right. <laughs> That's just me because, well, I'm originally from Springfield, Mass, and Connecticut, you know, is right across the border. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you always get the whole Hartford uh, wolf pack uh, trying to get your attention. Then you have the Connecticut uh, whale, which is now the NWHL um, franchise. And so they basically take on the ladies uh, hockey version of the NHL team that used to be in the area. So that's kind of where I'm going with all my reminiscing. Yeah, there you go. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's very funny how time flies. Yeah. Yeah. Like back, back to my, um, uh, main point, I guess, is that, uh, you know, I was thinking the devils were going to do really good. I was thinking they were going to have, you know, some sort of playoff run, be the, be the top of the top of the division, you know, and it just didn't happen. And maybe with this coaching change, uh, maybe they can make a run. Wait, are they even in the playoffs? No, no. Um, the way it works, um, the Devils weren't one of the twenty-four teams. They cut it off at the twenty-four right. team number mark, right? Because they wanted to get the Montreal and Chicago type markets in. Sure. And I know that's very. Uh, how do you call it? What's the What's the phrase? Uh, oh, conspiracy theory, like ah. Uh... Yeah. And so for my old co-host at the time, um, was like, is, there's still a conspiracy theory that they believe in uh, our last listener, not listener, um, last guest, Molly Walker of the New York Post covers the Islanders and Rangers goes, I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm, but that's kind of how we feel as feeling like outsiders. Right. See, that's, that's kind of how it's kind of how the uh, as a Minnesota fan, it's um, kind of how I'm feeling with the uh, the NBA restart because Minnesota's out of the NBA restart and um, I think NBA is top 22 instead of 24. But I, I think even if it was top 24 NBA teams, I think it would still be. I think the Wolves would still be be out of it. <laughs> but yeah, that's I'm I'm kind of just going into it kind of. Kind of blind. I'm not. I don't really. I don't really care about this NBA restart. You know. I'm thinking like, oh, LeBron James is going to put on a show, and that's that's all I need to know. You know what I mean? Well, what's great about hockey is, well, not nothing to take a a big plunge on the NBA is just that, you know, it's like a two man show or a one man show. It's pretty much just skill and little luck. Mm-hmm. Hockey, it's a blend. It's it's more of you got skill, you have team effort, and you have luck and strategy all in one. Right. I think strategy is kind of the biggest the biggest part, and I think a good example of that is um, last uh, Stanley Cup Finals. You know when uh like you know game the Blues, right? When they were Blues and Bruins, um, you know the they would both start their fourth line. Or they both start their third. One of them, one would start their third. One of them would start their fourth. But it wasn't like your, you know, it's not like first line starts. You know, yeah. They those bottom four lines on those two Stanley Cup 
uh, caliber teams is what sets them apart from any two teams last year is that they both play physical, they both can score, they play with an edge, and whoever grinds you down the most without taking too many penalties is going to end up winning the series. And we right. saw that out of the Blues where Petrangelo played out of his mind and mm-hmm. you and you could see how Jordan Bennington and that he was just like zoned in like every single second. It just looked like even in the last game, you know, when they won the Stanley Cup, you could see how outrageous he was shifting side to side, like keeping the puck in front of him. Yeah, and I think that's another thing with like coaching too is like, um, well, I guess you know, like you're, you're talking playoff caliber team. Um, you know, McAvoy is like a third line in on on the Bruins team, but he could be like a first line in like Carolina or or Florida. You know, like he's it's it's just like the you know the playoff caliber team and. You know, like everybody knows, the Blues on January 3rd woke up. They were the worst in the league. And then they came back and were the best. And that was after they got rid of Mike Yo. You know? Yeah, I remember Yo used to be with the Minnesota Wild. and right. I hated him. I hated Mike Yo. For, terrible. For, there's always in any sport, there's always that one person or that one player that you just feel a bad vibe and for you it's yo for me it was uh back in the day it was john tortorella mm, i mean yes because he's like that go bleep yourself kind of guy and up your face but he's still very good strategically like mm-hmm. that's that that's how i feel like even when he coached Team USA men's hockey, you can kind of see how he runs things outside of a NHL team. Right. So, but you know, you know, you've also got um, all stars. You know, that's why they're on that Olympic team. Um, but yeah, I totally get. I totally get what you mean. His strategy, his way of going at things. You know, that's that's what has, you know, value in terms of like a hockey team. What I will say is about Lindy Ruff, when I used to watch him coach against the Devils and he would coach the Sabres. And this was also during 2011, 2012. They also had very big defensemen. They always had big, strong, smart forwards. And you could see how, determined they were to you know cancel out certain guys like 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 I would always watch Cam Jansen fight or him go after certain players um I remember this was like a few days after Christmas day in 2011 and I had got back from upstate New York and I had seen like at least 10 players going at each other that day and it was crazy and wild. Um, I still in couldn't believe it. Game or it was where? a live game oh, at the geez. Prudential Center. Sure. 
Because I know sometimes, you know, there can be, like, bench clears, like, in practice. Like, um, yeah, it's – I feel like it happens more in football when, you know, because, like, it's just so aggressive and, like, there can be a lot more fights. Loads of testosterone. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean <laughs> uh. <laughs> Yeah, I I'm one of those people like um I liked what I saw from the highlights of Lindy Ruff where he starts cursing during practice like like why are you doing this? You're lollygagging. Come on guys, like he's like tr- he's like ready to like break a stick in practice, losing it. And yeah, I, I, I don't remember John Hines doing that, but I remember him being vocal. I think I think Boudreau really did that, did that too, and um, so did uh, Thibodeau, the old coach for the Wolves and the Bulls. He he was both of them. They were always just always yelling at the players, and um, just I I feel like they were both they were always just mad. Like even when even when um, you know somebody on the Wild would score. You still wouldn't see him smile. I might do a little fist bump or something, and then he would just go back to, you know, his his, his resting, resting. Pit. I can relate. I can relate to that because I remember in high school baseball, where in Maplewood, New Jersey, um, we would be in a high group where it's very talented, a lot of high, like high quality teams, and the coach would say after a win all right, enjoy this win and get back to it tomorrow. And, you know, just because you score doesn't mean you can be jolly and excessive about your your scoring. You have to go out there and do your job, and that's the coach's job. That's what Ruff did even after a win. He's still complained to a ref about a call. Yeah, see? Yeah, absolutely. I, I... I totally agree because how many there's at least like on on a given night I feel like there's at least two um you know two comebacks and, a night in hockey and Charlie is in the house and Charlie we're just talking about um the Minnesota Wild and New Jersey Devils coaching and how are you doing this evening do a pretty good job how about you pretty good and Parker's on the air and uh, we just want to get your take on, you know, the post uh, Heinz Nazardine era with um, our guy, Lindy Ruff and Tommy Fitzgerald now being in the head of, you know, the GM role and the coaching role. Well, I mean, I think the Devils finally kind of woke up and said, you know, John Hines wasn't our coach, and now Elaine Nazardine, he did do well in the few games that he coached, but it's time to move on from that. And we got Lindy Ruff as a guy who has experience in the NHL. <clears throat> He's seventh all-time in wins. He has some, I think, third most of um, current coaches in playoff wins and playoff games played somewhere on there. But, you know, we bring guys with experience in, and with all the young guys, um, I think they could greatly benefit off of it. Um, for Tommy Fitzgerald, you know, he impressed at the deadline, and I think it was just a given that he was going to be the GM sooner or later. Yeah, I will throw it in there. Um, when I saw those returns on equity, I could, I could say, I, I, I thought to myself then and there, like, 
I can see Tom just sticking in this role, you know, him knowing his job under Shiro as the assistant GM to keep him on his toes and scouting certain guys with the scouting department, you know, they've been looking at each guy that they couldn't draft and maybe they could, you know, pluck a guy through a trade and Quokinen's one of those guys. Um, you have a lot of great, interesting players. Um, I wanted Nolan foot last draft. Um, I had him at 20 and he went somewhere in the mid twenties, late twenties last year. Mm -hmm. And I was very thrilled to have a guy like him and maybe they can get something out of him. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said before on this podcast, his shot is incredible. And all you have to do is really put him with a playmaker. And we saw what he did in the world juniors with team Canada. He lit it up on the score sheet. So, I mean, you got to take that into consideration when putting him in the lineup, uh, what kind of player he is and what kind of player we need him to be. And, uh, Parker, you can join in any time in, uh, in one of these about uh, players that you think, you know, between New Jersey and Minnesota that, um, you know, teams are going after. And, you know, we talk about the Besser rumor going on, you know, uh, Vancouver's pretty stressed. Um, what do you have? Um, well, in terms of um, like, I, if we're talking about like Besser, um, then I think – I wrote down some pop possibly combinations uh, that could bring Besser to Minnesota. Um, and the only ones I'm thinking, like in, I'm thinking in the mind of the Vancouver GM um, and who I want on my team. Right. And really the only guy that I see of value is Kevin Fiala. Um, and I, I think Kevin Fiala for Brock Besser is a fair trade. Um, but I think Besser is, in the in the long run, I think Besser is better than Fiala. So I would give um, Fiala plus picks, like a, a first round, because we we do have two first rounds, either this year or next year from from Pittsburgh. You know, so it's either Fiala plus a first round pick, Fiala uh, plus Marcus Felino, or Fiala and Greg Pattern. Those are the three that I could see going to Vancouver for Brock Besser. Um, that's... And and from what I read on Besser's uh, injury history is that he's had a couple of foot injuries, but nothing serious, no ACLs, which is one hand injury, but nothing scary. I mean, he did miss some games here and there the past couple seasons, but he's obviously – 23 years old for me those injuries aren't red flags I mean they're slightly yellow flags I would call them you know I said that with uh Ian Poltz of Devils in the Details podcast about mm -hmm. um Hendrix Lapierre in uh, this year's draft who has one concussion and uh one neck injury so there's uh one of those is a red flag so um with a guy like uh Bessers is just a yellow green flag, you know, but I think, you know, Besser might fetch a second and maybe a, a first and the devils have those kind of assets that they could dangle in front of uh, Vancouver. And I know Jim Benning's job is uh, pretty complicated in Vancouver. And we've seen Ray Shiro 
uh, do this before with Shirelli in uh, Van in uh, Edmonton. Sorry, um, but I could see a similar, if not a little bit different, done by Tommy Fitzgerald, the second hand man, now first man. Um, yeah, I could kind of see <clears throat> what you guys are pointing at. Although Jim Bending did uh, speak up and say that those uh, rumors about Brock Besser were false, and then I. Did I think we got um, a quote from Elias Pettersson saying that he wouldn't be the happiest guy if uh, Brock Besser was traded? I think, like you said, with Edmonton, there was a little bit of um, less wiggle room. And uh, what were you going to say, Parker? Um, no, of course not, because Brock Besser is like a part of that core, part of that Vancouver core mm-hmm. with JC Miller and um, Bo Horvat and uh, Quinn Hughes, Pettersson, you know, all those guys. You know he's a part of that. He's a part of that core. And when you take a piece of the core away, the other individuals in that core are going to be affected. Mm-hmm, absolutely, absolutely. <clears throat> I think you know Jim Benning definitely, like you said, uh, Joe. He is definitely a hard job this year. But I think there is a little bit of wiggling room for him. Uh, you got, you got, you, got, <clears throat> you have guys like Brandon, uh, Brandon Sutter, who's taking about four mil, oh, just above four million in cap space. Uh, a guy like Jay Beagle and Antoine Roussel are both taking about three million. Uh, guys like <clears throat> Christopher Tanev, who's taking about four point four five million, and uh, Oscar Fantenberg, with um, who's taking about eight hundred fifty thousand, and uh, Jordy Ben, who's taking about two million. So, and so from what I was looking at on Cap Friendly, I was doing an article on uh, the Pocket Authority on, uh, and Parker is part of the same uh, website as I am for the Pocket Authority, so. Um, I was running some numbers. The Devils have over $26 million in cap space this mm-hmm. offseason once the uh, playoffs and Stanley Cup is awarded. Um, I, I could see that money being used towards some of those players if they don't get better. And if they do have to eat half of those contracts, um, they possibly can crunch some numbers for Vancouver. But they can probably – hold a ransom on Jim Benning trying to loosen up the belt a little bit with 18 million to play with. See for uh, the devils um, their uh, what I read um, their package for Besser um, uh, Severson Severson for Besser um, and then uh, devils give, give Vancouver their 2020 first uh, along with uh, Louis Erickson. So Severson and a first for Besser and Erickson. No, let, let, me, let me get your opinion on that. I I believe we need to get a defenseman back and and a trade back because at this point it seems more likely that if you're going to trade a defenseman like uh, Severson, you you should be looking and targeting for a guy like a Colin Miller or Mikhail Sergachev in uh, Tampa Bay or Buffalo. And Buffalo's got a lot of problems around the Pagulas. And there's so much, so many staff changes that I could see it being more realistic than doing a trade with Vancouver. If you're trading Severson for Besser, I'm not sure what you're thinking, Charlie. Um, yeah, you're definitely right about uh, Buffalo's problem. The Pagulas, you know, I, they kind of hit it short on money with firing most, if not just about all of their staff. 
Um, but what Elliot Friedman said is what I said about a month before that. Just because, you know, cap space is a thing or a cap hit doesn't mean you have the money to pay those players. And like Buffalo, you know, they can be trade partners with Vancouver. I mean, you got to make money somehow. You got to think about the long run. You know, how much a lot of fans for Buffalo, for how bad they've been the past decade, they're still showing up to games. And you got to take that into consideration. You know, they're not all going to be there if you're bad for another six years. And then Jack Eichel, you know, they all say, oh, you know, it's further from the truth that, you know, he wants to get out of there. But let's look four years down the line if they're still not making the playoffs. That's going to change pretty quickly. Yes. And there's definitely going to be a lot of firings again and again. It's going to be a complete cycle, you know, just about two years. And and honestly, if and if and if the the rumors do come true four years, six years later, uh, you're getting an older Jack Eichel, mm-hmm. and at that point, he may not cost you a whole ton. He's still going to cost you a plenty of tons. I mean, still he's going to cost you a bunch of firsts and a bunch mm-hmm. of seconds rather easily, and maybe still a few quality prospects when you get to his 30s. Yeah, a lot of players, like, his caliber go till they're, like, about 38, 39, you know, even early 40s. So, you're definitely right about getting those, you know, first-round picks. If he's still, like, a 60, 70-point player by, uh, like, six years, 30, 31, it's going to be costing you about, like, a first, second-round pick and probably an A prospect and um, an impact player. So, that's kind of my point on that. And, it, yeah, just- and on, like Michael's production, you know, if like you said, you know, if he's staying at like a 60, 70 point guy, then I mean, maybe he is still worth those, those first and second round picks, but like I mean, 60, 70 points a year, you know, that's, it's pretty high. You know, I mean, I don't think any, I think, I think it's Parisi got that 70 point mark last year and nobody else did that. Every, everybody on the team was like a 50, 60. So if you, if you got Eichel that can, pretty 70 points. I think there's a lot more value there than people think. And so it just seems like, you know, when Devils fans were complaining that, you know, there's all this chaos going on, it was definitely a lot worse in Ottawa than it got better for them, you know, especially with the draft and they traded, you know, some guys away and they got some really good players back and they started getting a little bit better. And I believe the Devils are starting to get better, not because, you know, I'm a Devils fan, but I do see, you know, a guy like Lindy Ruff with, like Charlie said, you know, he's a veteran coach. He knows what to do. Um, you have a good core of Hughes and Heischer, and you got Goose and you got Paul Mary. And when you add a trade piece, if it's Besser, um, your offense is going to get better, but you're going to have to hope that Ty Smith or – Ochochuk or Misuel or Ball can come up within a year or two or within the next season, you know, you'd hope that they can jump in the lineup and be stalwarts that can really help the team progress forward defensively. Yeah, depending on how this offseason plays out with the defense, I know we have uh, Clayson and Murmurs both coming up as unrestricted free agents who weren't the most impact players, but they were still a part of that core. We have Mueller, who's an RFA. Um, Ty Smith, if he's coming to NHL next year, he needs to be an impact player immediately. Um, I th- I'm hoping under Lindy Ruff, you know, a guy who's been known for his defense, 
even though I kind of criticized him <clears throat> a little while back, saying that his tactics were kind of old and they haven't been working in the recent days with the speed and skill of the game. Um, it's something you got to look at, and hopefully, because I'm a big friend of uh, fan of uh, Nikito Koyuk, because he's like that shutdown defensive defenseman. Uh, watching him, you know, watching his interviews in uh, juniors, he always said, you know, what's your favorite thing to do? Oh, I don't like to score. I like to block shots. So, <laughs> which is very, that's very Anton Volchenkov uh, mindset, <laughs> like yeah. because I remember he and. Uh, Okay, I'm just kind of going a little old school here. Um, I remember Volchenkov and uh, Neil were the they were like the Bash brothers in Ottawa, and Neil was like the I'm gonna you know clean the body out, and Volchenkov was the guy that you know he originally was a goaltender in Russia, but he was made a defenseman, and so that is where his blocking shots mm -hmm. left and right came from. So. Uh, I could see why Ohochia uh, can do that, and having a younger version like that is is a good thing. And you definitely want him to be blocking those shots in front of Mackenzie Blackwood. Yeah, it's definitely nice seeing one of the younger guys doing the dirty work that some of the veterans can't do or won't do. I'm not sure how that happens with Minnesota, Parker, if you can chip in on the defenseman that – uh, Minnesota has with similarities to, you know, how the Devils prospects can. See, what's interesting about like the the the, the Minnesota Wild defense is that um, all six of those guys are like just they're they're better than people give them credit for. Like Brad Hunt, I absolutely. Know, um, he's like a he's a third line guy, but he was producing offensively at the, at the beginning of the year, mm -hmm. like Patteron. You know, he was he was also producing before um, he he wasn't playing for a while. I know he either got hurt or a family issue, but he wasn't he wasn't playing, and that was really affecting the Wild. And everybody was I know they're talking about like when they get Pattern back. You know what can the Wild do then? You know, and then the uh, shutdown happened. So yeah, yeah, you're definitely Hunt, Pattern. And, um, you know, you got guys like Suter and Spurgeon who are always going to be, you know, solid producers. Spurgeon is my personal favorite on the wild. I feel like he can always, always like get it done, either an assist or a goal every, every game or doing something to help out in some way, shape, or form. It's never, never just, oh, the third line's out. Let's just, let's just hope and pray that, you know, they don't score. You know, that's not, <laughs> not, not at all. <laughs> Yeah, you're definitely right about the Wild and their defense being underrated. How about Carson Soucy, who came into the NHL? He's 25 years old. When I did my research on him, I thought he was, like, 21. That's because how he plays. He plays the game, the defensive mindset, but he also can chip in a little bit offensively. Um, you're also right about Jared yes. Spurgeon. You know, he's super underrated. And everyone, when he got that big uh, contract uh, last year, everyone was like, oh, he's overrated. And now, you know, what is – uh, Paul Fenton doing, or I don't know if was that Paul Fenton who gave him, gave him the extension. See, you know what really upset me is that well, Fenton did not get an extension; he got dropped. Um, what really upset me uh, with Paul Fenton is that he he said he wanted to trade Zucker, and I said I don't want to trade Zucker, you know, because I have a big say in what he says. But anyway, um, <laughs> he he uh, he wanted to trade Zucker, 
and then they dropped him. And uh, 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 Bill Guerin came in. I don't know how to say anybody's name. Bill Guerin, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, then he came in. Like, oh, cool. He's not going to trade Zucker. No way. What happens? Zucker's gone, and we get Kelchenyuk. <laughs> and I'm like, no, you weren't going to trade Zucker. And then they traded well, Zucker. Well, to be fair, Kellen Edison is a really good defensive prospect. He got back in that trade. That's true. And he's one of those guys that you could definitely pick up that you wanted in the draft, but you eventually traded for him. Mm-hmm. You know what, though? What's interesting is that um, uh, Zucker's wife, Carly Zucker, who is really hot, but that's not important. Um, she was on the, the radio <laughs> show, the Minneapolis uh, you know, sports radio, radio show, uh, K-Fan. And, you know, she was, she was on there like every morning. No, I, re- I remember this, yeah. See, and um, whenever she, whenever I was on my way to work, I'd always listen to, you know, that, and she was always on. And I thought, oh man, she's not going to be there anymore, but she does make appearances <laughs> sometimes. So that. And so, and so, um, you, you're talking about Suter, uh, uh, or Zucker, Zucker, Jason Zucker. Zucker, Jason Zucker, who was traded. Um, I'm just double checking on. Cap friendly. Let's see. I just want to double check because some, yeah. If, yeah, let's see. Well, Jason Zucker, let me double check. But I do have the Minnesota stuff on though because, you know, I just want to see for myself uh, Zucker. Okay, I'm just double checking you guys. I also want to add on the uh, defense while you're checking that. Um, Their defense also just doesn't come from their defense. And Minnesota has a great core of young defensive uh, forwards. Like, um, you know, he isn't the youngest, but um, uh, Marcus Foligno, 28 years old, he had a really good defensive year. And Joel Erickson, Neck, and Luke Kunin um, both played excellent defensively, at least when I watched. Yeah. And, yeah. He said Greenway. And, um, Mm-hmm. Uh, I like never. It. You can never doubt uh, Jewel Eric when it comes to, you know, some sort of production. Like sometimes he has like off nights. He doesn't really, really do anything. But I think Eric Fennec is a very good, like all around player. And um, just in terms of maybe, like maybe he won't score or get an assist, but he'll just do all the little things right. You know that mm-hmm. that, that will help win, which is just as important in my opinion, as scoring. Yeah, absolutely. He reminds me a lot about Pavel Zaka because both of them were once upon, or once upon a time were highly looked at about these, like, scoring threats or guys who can round out the top six. And, you know, both of them, you know, offensively, they haven't really been there a lot. But both, you know, their defensive game is, like, pinpoint. Both are playing uh, top-line penalty-killing minutes. So, that's, like you said, that's just about as important as, you know, putting a goal in, you know, being that extra defenseman back for, you know, to stop a two-on-one or, like, an odd-man rush. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to touch on in this past season for Minnesota, Zucker had 29 points in 45 games before he was dealt to the Penguins. And in his last 15 games, he scored 12 points, six goals, six assists with Pittsburgh um, before the stoppage. So he had been clicking rather well for a guy at his contract and starting to live up a little bit better. Yeah, absolutely. Zucker is going to be, um, you know, a big piece to, you know, Pittsburgh trying to go for a Stanley Cup. And they're kind of like my silent, you know, I hope they win, not because it's Pittsburgh. You know, I want Patrick Morrow to win a cup. If it wasn't Joe Thornton, because I was rooting for Thornton last year, 
I want it to be Marlo. He deserves it so much, and, and it would be even if he retires next year and he wins a cup with Pittsburgh, I think that is the best way to end a career as good as his. See, for I, me, last year watching – well, before you jumped in, um, for me watching the, the Blues um, going at it, for me it was great seeing Petrangelo and uh, Boom Meester. Yeah, and Boom Meester being the – and Bo Meester, before he had his little uh, scary incident. episode, I know because I, I, it reminded me of Rich Peverly, and him getting that cut before that happened for me special. was something special mm-hmm. for a guy like him being a veteran, paying his dues. And you talk about that, and for some other players that um, we've seen in the past, it's great to see them go out on top. And Cam Jansen spoke highly about him on the podcast. Yeah, it's it, and it wasn't just like any like fourth line center. Jane Bowmeister was is a very respected player in the NHL. He's been playing for years. He's been playing with the Panthers and the Blues, and you know just to see him kind of raise the Stanley Cup. You know, I w- I think all of, most of the NHL fans were on the boat. Anyone but Boston, but I think it was very <laughs> nice to see Jane Bowmeister hold the Stanley Cup up. And then you know, of course, nobody wanted to see that happen. It was you know scary. I remember. When I first heard about the news that he went down, I quickly checked to the Ducks channel um, to see him. And I was just kind of frightened. I was kind of like sitting in my bed like, oh, what's going to happen, you know? <laughs> so thankfully he got the cup. And, you know, I think personally for his health and his family, he should retire after this year. I think he doesn't need to prove anything else to the NHL. He's a great player and, you know, he's had a hell of a career. For me, he's one of my favorite um, non-devils of all time. And if I had to say one of my favorite NHL players, it had to be Jane Bowmeister. I mean, he played for team Canada. He's great offensive defenseman, but he could also be a underrated defensive defenseman. And he's proven year in and out. And Jansen gave a really great testimony to him um, being a really good player and being for the, being with the blues for so many years whether they've come so close or they fall below that. And they, and he is a true blue in my book, and he's a true veteran in the sense of the word. Absolutely. Yeah, I did not disagree with one thing you said. <laughs> um, <laughs> see, like, I have a lot of respect for guys like George Thornton, if I'm just going to jump in on, on the other point that you guys had. Um, like last year, Thornton signed a one-year deal at like 40 years old or 41 years old. And he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll make another run at the Cup, you know, because they lost out to the Blues in the Western Conference Final. And um, he was like, you know what? Yeah, I'll go for one more time. And, you know, him and his, his big beard, it was it was black. <laughs> <laughs> so much for that beard. Right? <laughs> it's just total color change. And that's just who, that's just who Thornton is. He's just big he's just a big big team player and I have a lot of respect for guys like that like um you know, like uh, uh, Dirk uh Nowitzki you know played played his entire mm-hmm. career with the Mavericks and um any other you know player that that does that you know touche to them right yeah, yeah it's I... for go ahead I was going to say, um, I lost a little bit of respect for uh, Doug Wilson when he didn't trade him at the deadline because 
looking at Thornton's career, you know, it, to me, it wasn't about the picks and prospects and what you get in return. It was about the relationship you have personally with Joe Thornton and you want to see him succeed. And, you know, since I didn't have the greatest year, but I think at the end of the day, you know, even if you only got like a fourth round pick out of it, you got to trade Joe Thornton to a team that, you know, could compete. You know, it would have been nice seeing him go back to, I don't know, like Boston to maybe see him go for a cup run or something. But that's kind of my take. One of the interesting things I heard earlier on the Cam and Strick podcast, and uh, they were talking with Claude Lemieux or Claude, as some will say, and Claude said it best that when he was with Pat Burns in uh, his early years with Montreal, that he asked um, Pat Burns about what he thought of him as a player and for him not feeling, you know, high on being, you know, a player for him in Montreal all the time, he requested a trade. And then, you know, he went to New Jersey and then in New Jersey for Lou, you know, he came up clutch as we all know in history. And then after a while, when he became an MVP and all that, and then he asked to get traded. And then, and of course, I, if I recall, remember Colorado, he got mm-hmm. traded back to New Jersey again for another call of duty and came up big again. And then, got traded because he felt that, you know, he wanted more out of his coach and his GM that sometimes that put him in different situations. Yeah. I think, I think that resonates with some veteran players still to this day. Yeah, absolutely. Not on the, I can't, I don't really know a guy on the top of my head that, you know, plays like Claude Lemieux and, you know, has the same mindset because it's all I remember, you know, he won the Cup with New Jersey, won the MVP, goes to Colorado, starts a rivalry, goes back to New Jersey, and, you know, keeps killing it. You know, there's not a lot of players that will cause that much difference to a franchise, and Claude Lemieux did. Well, you could and say uh, to, uh, Patrick Watt, he was with Montreal for so long, and then something happens, he lets in, like, six goals. Not Nine goals. Does, doesn't get pulled. Nine goals. I thought it was nine goals, but I didn't want to be wrong. <laughs> it, it, no, it, it was nine. You know goals. what? Nine, nine. I was just watching a Steve Dangle. Dance. Yeah, I saw. I saw that too. <clears throat> but no, he he lets in nine goals, and then he goes he goes to the coach and he says, "I'm never playing for Montreal again." And then a couple of days later, he gets traded to the Avalanche. And I've never really what what was all that about? I I never really understood what that was about. Well. Well, it, from what I was watching in that clip um, during the Steve Daigle, dang it, um, not only did he tell that to the, to the coach, he, he told it to the manager of the team. He was sitting right behind the bench. And, and back in those days, they didn't have the glass or anything like that. And so that was like a perfect setup for a guy like him to say, get me the heck out of here and send me somewhere – you know, where I can win. And it, it just, from what I saw in the clip uh, versus Detroit, like the Russian connection just absolutely ate him apart along with the other Detroit players that just picked him apart. It's just, I, I actually feel bad for Patrick Waugh, but um, at the same time, you know, Marty's still better at the end of the day. 
um, when it comes when it all comes and boils down to it. Well, not giving up nine goals in a game. If you're gonna say Broder is better than Wild, I'm gonna say Hassett's better than Broder. If you if you wanna wanna make comparisons. I, I said at the point they're all all three of them are good at their own thing. Patrick Wall playoffs were his. Dominic Hasek being good on really bad teams was his. Brodor being a well-rounded goalie who led in all stats. You know, all three of them you could say are better at each standpoint and with like without any biases. Yeah, and it's like for a lot of like Ranger fans, they love Henrik Lundqvist. But the thing is, like, he got really good in the middle of his prime as well. But he still mm-hmm. he was still able to win until this past season, where you have Georgiev and you have Shesterkin, and this is kind of like spelling the beginning of his end. And he's not ever going to catch Broder, but he got as close as he could, and he broke Eddie Jockamans, um in New York as a Ranger, but. He's still going to be one of the best goaltenders, you know, in the NHL, but he's probably going to be second, third NHL ballot versus Brodeur as a first ticket Hall of Famer. I can, I can see Lundquist maybe sneaking in as, a, you know, maybe a first, at most second, even though we have so many guys like uh, McGillney and Pierre, um, a few other guys in the Hall of Fame. And then the biggest thing I see Rangers fans saying, oh, if you put Henrik Lundqvist in the trap, you know, he would have won three cups. It's the funny <laughs> thing because I can tell right now, you know where this is, you know exactly where this is going. Brodeur played about 10, 10 seasons in that trap. And then he plays another 10 years without any of those guys, Niedermeyer, Rafalski, Steven, you know, all those guys. What did he do? He still went to a Stanley Cup final. And what did we do? We beat the Rangers in 2012. Still beat them. You know what was funny is, um, Parker, I was at the game, uh, game six, Eastern Conference Finals. I'm not sure how you would have dealt with the Minnesota versus, let's say, Detroit-type series. Colorado, but – for being in, for me at the time I was living in South Orange, New Jersey, and being like 25, 30 minutes away from the rock as a Devils fan was like huge and getting in early and getting a ticket that day was like super like high octane, like stressful. And then you have the game and it's like the, you got Rangers fans and then it's like puck drop. It's like, holy hell, it, it starts out chaos and then it's like, whoa, it's like, Interesting because the double started scoring off uh, two goals, if mm-hmm. I remember correctly. I don't remember who scored them, but I know um, Kovalchuk did score a cross crease. Um, Parise to Kovalchuk was, I think, the second goal, which was a power play. And I had a few Dells fans talk to me the other day, like, if we can get at least half as good of a power play as we did there, where all five guys on the ice were touching the puck and cycling very quickly, you know, end up most of the time in the back of the net, this team would be so much better. Yeah, Henrique was on that play along with uh, mm-hmm. Zubris. But I miss Merrick Zidlitsky, though. I still remember that day I was um, at the Rock when the trade occurred from Minnesota. Um, I'm not sure if you remember that, Parker, when uh, Minnesota traded him and Curtis Foster in the same year. Mm-hmm. Um, Can you remember that properly? Are we, are we talking about like the – 
I know one of y'all would talk about Zidlisky trade for it was a bunch of minor leaguers. It was Merrick Zidlisky for Curtis sent. Foster, Nick Palmieri, Stefan, um, Stefan uh, Villieu, a second round yes. pick, and a 2013 conditional pick. And this is when Palmieri is a, is a prospect. Nick Palmieri, uh, defenseman, I think, right? Was he a defenseman? Not sure on that. Let, let me double check. He was a right. He was a right winner. My good juice, Nick Palmieri. I'm just getting my memory juices <laughs> flowing again. Nick Palmieri. Well, he's not in the no. NHL anymore. He's 31. He's long gone. He was a right wing. Palmieri. Okay, gotcha. He last played in 11 and 12. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. He he only he yeah he only he started out with the Erie Otters played for the Lowell Devils Erie Otters Belleville Bulls played it with the New Jersey starting in 2010 and basically built up his draft stock I mean his trade stock rather yeah he's definitely had a rough trade history for getting um New Jersey getting a third uh, third um a third round pick for him. And Minnesota getting him for Ryan Jones in a second round pick, who turned out to be nobody important. So, yeah, so that kind of shows you how crafty Lou was back mm-hmm. then. Well, well, Lou did a lot of um, quantity over quality, and we saw that with the Kovalchuk trade, where he traded, you know, a bunch of really nothing first round and second round pick. Which I saw that Steve Dangle video, which turned into getting Dustin Bufflin. But, you know, those, that first and second round pick, I don't think they turned out to be anyone that big. But, you know, guys like Nick Bergforce, is it, Nick Nicholas Bergforce, I think his name was, and a few other guys. Yeah, I, I'm i I'm looking him up because um, that's a name I grew up uh, in high school with. He's 33. He's He was from mm-hmm. Sweden. He was um, a recent first round pick, five though, ten at the time. 23rd yes. overall in 2005. So yeah, that was his. He played in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, oh eight, oh nine, two thousand nine, two thousand ten, and so he was making a cap hit of five hundred seventy five grand. Yeah, sounds about right. But his, but his current season was he he was still playing in Jure Gardens uh, IF in the SHL. Believe it or not. Yeah. He actually has twelve goals, eleven assists, and fifty-two games played. Let's <laughs> see how time yeah, flies. Well, <laughs> you know the Thrashers that ended up. A lot of people were talking about that's probably one of the worst trades they've ever made because you trade a guy who's consistently a fifty-goal scorer, hundred points to New Jersey, and I know I think Steve Dangle in his trade tree video he made a really good point. You know, Kovalchuk was not really himself. He was still a dynamic elite, you know, forward, but. He was not the fifty goal, hundred point guy we saw in Atlanta. He only played about two Parker, years. You... So. Parker, who are some of your favorite Minnesota trades that you have in recent history? Um, I mean, it's kind of a love hate relationship with uh, Prezi and Suter um, because initially, not wasn't a trade; it was a pickup. Wait. No, it was a free agent signing, wasn't it? Free agents were both. Yeah, free they were both free agents. Right. So They're both really good friends. Still, still, they both get the same contract, and 
it. Well, no, let's, let's talk about trades. You asked me about trades. Um, I think Granlin, I, I have a funny story about the Granlin trade. Granlin and Fiala. Um, it was like opening night last year. And I see Granlin in an Asheville uniform. And somehow I don't hear about this. And so I call my buddy who is, you know, um, also a big hockey fan. And I go, when, when did we trade Granlund? He's like, yeah, that happened like last year, dude. It's like, what do you mean that? What do you mean we traded Granlund? And I was so, I wasn't like irate because, I mean, Granlund was, I don't know, in my, he was kind of average in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But I, I was, I was just really surprised. I had no idea we had traded Granlund. I don't know how I missed that, but like, I, I don't know. Yeah, Mikhail Granlund, you're talking about, right? Yeah. To Nashville? Right. So, yeah, he basically has, um, well, in his past, uh, what was it? His Nashville season this year, he had 13 assists, 17 goals in 63 games. When he was with Minnesota uh, before the trade, um, before the season, um, in Minnesota, he had 34 assists, 15 goals. Um, when he went to the Predators, um, four assists, one goal, 16 assists. Um, but, like, I don't really care for minus, plus minus. But he did, you know, let up a few more points on the lines that he played on when he joined in on his new team. Yeah, see, Granlin was like that first line, second line guy, along with, you know, Preezy and um, Stahl. No, Stahl was Eric Stahl. They were both centers. Oh, that's right. Um, but I. Um, and Koibu was a center, too. Who am I thinking of? Who's like their main. Zucker. Zucker, yes. Well, Zucker. Mm, Zucker was third yeah. line guy. He was the third line, second line guy. Like it was, it was Preezy, Gramlin, and you, <sighs> Nino Niederreiter. You had you had Alex Galchenyuk. We had Aristotle. <laughs> yeah, it was either like Niederreiter or Zucker. You know, the, the, I, you had Ryan Donato. No, nah, no, that's uh, Luke Coonan Later on, joined in along with Jordan Greenway. Um, during that season, um, your defense looked like Brad Hunt, uh, Greg Patterson, Jonas Brodin, Jared Spurgeon, Matt Dumba, who I think is a really great player. I really want him. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Suter's still doing okay. It's still, it's that same, that same thing. Like in, you know, we got Suter and Preezy and free agency and we're, st- we're, we're still paying for their contract. Luckily, this is the last year that we're paying him ten million, but in the next year, <laughs> it's true. Next year we're gonna pay him six. No, wait. Hold on a sec. You you said Suter, right? Um, they, they both get their. They both have the same contract. Crazy and Suter have the exact same contract. Yeah. Hold on a sec. I'm just double checking. I just wanted to see the term. Hold on a sec. Suter. So this year, so this year he's yeah. getting paid about nine million dollars. Next year it's going down to eight, 
After that, six, two million, yeah, and the last and two years is one million. Yeah. See, I, I it was. It's it's going down. That's the point. Right. I don't remember what. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Suter is 35 years old. He was 19 years old when he signed to his entry-level contract. And so, um, let's see. That contract expires by 24-25, and he's in the middle of a no-move clause. Uh, Ryan Suter is. Mm -hmm. That's the whole thing. Like they're they're going down in quality, and Preezy can still put up points. You know, Preezy's always going to be that guy. Like, oh yeah, we had Preezy. You know, but like really, it. I don't know. We're just we're like two years away from a I think, massive rebuild. Like, I think if you take Zach Preezy and Ryan Suter, you pair them up, you together, and you look at both their stats. I think Ryan Suter is definitely the better one. I'm looking at it right here. If we had a full fledged season, he would have had 50 points. He is 40 on the board right now. Eight goals, four assists, and 69 games played. You know. He's still, I, in my opinion, Ryan Suter is still an elite player. Yes, he's 35, and his defensive game has gone off a little bit. But still, you know, a 35-year-old defenseman who can put up 50 points, that's something special. And that makes the contract mm-hmm. all the much more worth it. Right. He did score 61 points the season before in 74 games. Um, during this COVID-19 season, um, 46 points in 69 games. That's still pretty top notch. If you if you just forget about the plus minus, um, the minus eleven, which is can be a little deceiving, it's still pretty darn good season for a guy his age and putting up that amount of points. Um, given the fact that you have Matt Zuccarello, um, which adds a little bit more dynamic and a veteran player on the team. Uh, I wouldn't have said that if Zuccarello was still with the Rangers, but I admit my bias. <laughs> I love I love Zuccarello. I I was like really hoping that Dallas would just give the Rangers their pick and re-sign Zuccarello because I thought they, that was a match made in heaven. Zuccarello in Dallas, he just played so well in the playoffs, even though he was injured. <clears throat> I think like the first or second game that he played for them and was out like the rest of the regular season, but he comes in the playoffs, he scores some big goals for them, so. You know, I kind of wish he was still in Dallas. You know, Minnesota's definitely taken a step back in his career, in my opinion. But he's still a good player. And I keep making jokes to my friends who are into hockey, too. Minnesota Wild are stacking up on a lot of just top six forwards. Guys who, um, off the top of my head, uh, Niederreiter and um, Zucker, two guys who got traded who were top six. Uh, you have you had Granlund and uh, Fiala. And then down the center, you know, um, Koivu. He had Parise on the wing. He's just stacked up with a bunch of top six wingers. And, you know, that's how I like to say you make your um, NHL uh, franchise mode teams and, you know, all those games, you just stack up with top six yeah. wingers. You know, there's no real superstar, but everyone contributes 40, 50 points a year. Right. Yeah. In, in, I, I think, I mean, let's, let's, let's talk about, like, like Edmonton when we're talking about this. Like, we've got two guys, Dreisaitl and McKinnon. No, not McKinnon. McDavid. Um, you know, both guys. McKinnon's, yeah, in, in Colorado. But, yeah, right, right. in that conference, they're McKinnon. putting up a lot of points. Name. Anyway, um, so both guys can put up 90 points a year. Plus, you've got um, – oh, who's that other guy? Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Nugent Hopkins. Keller Yamamoto. You have – yeah, Keller Yamamoto is going to be a really He's good He's going to be a big player. X factor in these playoffs. 
uh, Oscar yeah, see, Clefbaum got, is one of those forgotten players. 90. Mike Green's not playing. He's uh, he's he's on the not playing list, if I remember correctly. So that gives Ethan Bear and Caleb Jones more playing time with Matthew. We're Benning two very young and Darnell underrated uh, guys. Ethan Bear is one of the best young defensive defensemen, in my opinion, along with uh, Jonas Siegenthaler in uh, Washington. Yeah, he was in a in a draft class where there weren't a whole lot of interesting players in the later rounds, but he was probably one of the best picks of that late end of the draft, um, Ethan Bear. Mm-hmm. And he is out of Regina, Saskatchewan. So for him, this is like close to home, you know, in the playoffs or play in round technically uh, in his situation with his hometown team. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. But no, like, again, you've got those two 90, 90 point guys, and then you've got all those guys who could put up like, you know, 40, 30, 40 points a year. Right. Mm-hmm. And you've got like James Neal still on the team, right? Yep. Yeah, see, so you got James Neal. He's like a, you know, 50, 60 point guy. So you've got all these, all these guys that can put up like good numbers. And then you've got a solid team around him, you know, but that's something that the Wild don't have. You've got, you know, 15 guys that can put up 40 points and 30 points. It's not going to get you anything. You need like a couple of aces. Then you need, you know, you need to build around star players. But for Minnesota, you need yeah. to have star players to build around. No, exactly. I'm hoping, That's in my opinion, to back in Kirill Kaprizov, you know, they could build around him. They tried to deal with Parise, yeah. and they just couldn't really strike gold on, you know, anyone that he put with them. You know, the playoffs and the regular season numbers showed that. Yeah, see, I think that's what you can do. Like, uh, if, if Kaprizov proves himself in the NHL, right, if he does things like Patterson and Besser did, mm-hmm. right, with Rookie of the Year, you know, and you can build around that. And if you can build around around Kaprizov, like you just said, and the Wild have guys to do that. You know, they still have, like, young guys. Yeah, like Matthew Boldy, last year, last draft. You know, who's an excellent right. player who I think is going to go and come to the top six and be, you know, more of a 50-60 point guy throughout his whole career. Yeah. From what I've seen with Matthew Boldy in his draft year is that not only is he a really good winger, he – can actually they actually moved him over to center at his university so that goes to show you how really talented and smart and gifted he is and he did play very well with Jack Hughes and uh what was it Cole Caulfield in that group mm-hmm. Turcotte from the Zegris. 2019 yeah Zegris was amazing and Zegris actually had him on his line sometimes and they fed off each other and they kind of like knew where they would be. And that's one of the reasons why Zegras and Boldy played so well is that they, they just were so dynamic together and Boldy can absolutely be a true dynamite of a forward when he gets to play for the wild, if I'm correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's not like he's any small guy. He's six foot two and about 194 pounds. So when he comes into the NHL, in my opinion, I don't think he's going to be in the next year. I don't. I didn't keep up with you know all the college guys who's going back and uh, who's um, going to be jumping, making the NHL jump. But no, I think if he gets one more year in college and he hits that two hundred pounds, he's going to be an impact player when he comes to the NHL. And I hope they put him on a line with Kaprizov uh, if he is playing center. You know what? Yeah. That is a really great transition 
to um, what I've kind of been wanting to talk about all pod. Um, so, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Jordan Kawaguchi, the uh, the Hobie Baker snub. Um, mm-hmm. I, I found out about his captaincy in a very unorthodox way. Um, I heard about it uh, from his mother from Twitter. So uh, <laughs> said, his mother said, today is a good day. Happy 24th anniversary to my husband and my son was announced captain. And, and I'm just like, Boy, it's just, it's, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean, that's a little out there. A pretty good source, you know. So it's a very strange <laughs> source to get it from, but also very reliable. Yeah, it d- doesn't get much more direct than that. Absolutely. I know. That, that, oh, that's yeah. like that's like getting like that, and then um, posted a link uh, to like the actual article from the Grand Forks Herald. You know, Grand Forks, North Dakota. That's where they play. But anyway. Um, the four captains, there's not the four captains, the four assistants um, that uh, Mr. Hobie Baker snub <laughs> is going to get. Uh, Kierstad, um, Matt Kierstad with six goals, 23 assists. Uh, Jacob Bernard Docker, seven goals, 18 assists. Uh, Jasper Weatherby, 10 goals, eight assists. Weatherby, solid guy last year. Um, solid center. Um, he's you know, again, one of those all-around guys that can help the team win. And then uh, Mark Senden, who I'm not very familiar with. He only had five goals and six assists. Um, but, yeah, around that captain, Kawaguchi, 15 goals, 30 assists. More goals than uh, Scott Prunovich. He had six goals and 34 assists. So, mm-hmm. again, I'm still very, very high on that, uh, you know, he got snubbed. You know. Yeah, he was definitely an impact player in colleges this year, and you know, like he's like you said, his captaincy, getting that, it's big for him, and his you know, motivation, and um, and what he's going to take and what he's going to bring into the NHL. Absolutely, and he still hasn't signed a contract yet, as as to my knowledge. Hold on, it's like let me let me double check because well, I go by I go by the pamphlets that I get when I go to games, and they always have a little logo. By their name on who they, who they went to, or who they, who they're going to. So yeah, I, I just got to double check. For sure, for sure. Um, so it's gonna be interesting. I stay, I stay in um, the Do great in the NHL. Let's see. St. Louis Post Dispatch: Perunovic signs his deal with Blues. Won't train. With the the um, in camp, so it's part of that next phase. So, yeah, it's uh, it's written by Tom Timmerman nine hours ago, so that's pretty fresh. Um, I knew I knew that that Prunovich played for the Blues, but I'm I'm talking talking Kalu. The Wild, yeah. Right. Oh, oh, Kawaguchi. I'm saying Kawaguchi hasn't signed with anybody. Oh, let me double check. Yeah, I always like to double check because sometimes I don't always get everything simultaneously on Twitter. I always like to sneak around and see what else is on. Chilliwack Chiefs alum Jordan Kawaguchi named captain of Dakota Fighting Hawks. Pretty good reporting there. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, but uh, it, but other other Sioux, I still call them the Sioux, even though they got changed to the Hawks. Um, other, I mean, I'll be politically correct. We'll call them the Hawks. Other Hawks players that um, that uh, got signed recently. Um, Tucker Pullman, uh, Carson Pullman's. Wait, I get the two mixed up. Who, who's <laughs> Tucker Pullman plays for the Jets right so now? Carson Pullman uh, got signed to um, the Flames recently. Mm-hmm. When all when all the college free agent stuff was going down, right? Yeah, so that that was the most. That's the most recent one that I'm aware of, but. Again, I think Kawaguchi is going to do good in the NHL wherever he decides to go or whoever drafts him. I don't know if it's going to be like he'll just play one more year. He'll get, you know, 100 points, as we hope. And <laughs> and then he goes first overall. You know how it do. <laughs> no, I'm just really high on Jordan Kawaguchi. I really like I really like Kawaguchi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, you wouldn't be the first person to be like that since people were high on Ed Belfour. See? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The reason why I said that because it's the it's the North Dakota uh, alma mater uh, alumni. So you got to have a little bit of something to represent. So for a lot of people who listen in, um, we did talk about Brock Besser earlier, and he is a – product of UND hockey and so is Travis Zajac of mm-hmm. University yeah. of North Dakota. You know, fun and a lot fact, of people forget um, that. On I was driving by the, the UND campus the other day, driving by the Ralph and um there's a giant poster uh, of Brock Besser in his uh, UND uniform and it says um a hundred NHL players dot 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 and then on the bottom of the poster and counting, and I—I I don't know. I just think it's really cool. It's just like on the side of the parking ramp next to the, <laughs> um, next to the Ralph Engelstad Arena. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, Boston College. They have a wall of uh, every, each and every player who's um, you know, went through their program and stepped foot in, on NHL ice. I don't know the exact yeah, number see, of them now, but I know they take that into pride, and I think every college does. Absolutely. When you walk around the. The Ralph Engelstad Arena. Um, there's uh, like big posters of players that have won Stanley Cups that went to the went to the U, went to UND, and then um, all around there's like smaller banners, um, you know, right above like the food courts and whatnot on the, the concourse that has just any NHL player that went to the University of North Dakota, which I think is really cool. And one oh, yeah. of the names I'm yeah. looking at is Matt Fratton, who played for the Maple Leafs for from the 2010 to 2012, 2013 uh, with the Leafs. I mean, that that's a name that's playing currently in the KHL with AK Bars Kazan out in the East in uh, that part of the KHL. Yeah, you know what? I think that's why it doesn't ring a bell because he plays in the KHL, and that's not really my 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 expertise. You know, I kind of stay towards like the NHL. North America, right? Like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big I mean, KHL guy, but you know, I I can throw a few names around, you know, here and there. 
Right. Um, like, I, I'm not, again, I'm not a big, like, prospect guy. Like, I'm not, I know, I know there's a kid from, from Wisconsin that's supposed to go, like, seventh overall. That's the projected area. But um, the only prospect I can name is uh, Alexis Lafreniere. Alexi Lafreniere, yeah. Um, I think yeah. the kid who you're trying to is it Wisconsin psych. Dylan Holloway. Yes, Holloway. Yep. yes. Yep. He, he's supposed to be going between Ten, I, 13, 13, 13 to 13, 17 is what I haven't projected as actually right in front of me. I'm going 17th overall to um, I think the Jets. I think the oh, Jets. Well, the, the, I think the he would fit. The- I was reading the other day was was you know he was in the top ten, but. You know, all those projections change all the time. Mm-hmm. Every week. Every week, there's at least a, a few teeter-totters here and there. Um, usually, uh, the past few drafts been pretty well-favored in uh, the NCAA hockey. Um, but then last year was also really good for the U.S. and TDP, as well as the USHL program. And mm-hmm. one of my favorite – USHL players in this year's draft is a kid out of uh, West Orange, New Jersey, named Alexander Gaffney. He's a center, five foot seven. Um, he, from a teammate of his that I learned about through Muskegon, gave me a little insight that he skates and can score like Taylor Hall the way he plays with a lot of blazing speed. Mm-hmm. And he's supposed to be a late round pick. And I'm thinking, if the Dells get a local boy. And they pick a hometown kid, they probably get Gaffney, you know, five through seven somewhere. Because, you know, kid his height, some teams might not always take a flyer on a kid like that. But when you find a local boy and kid has upside and you're going to Muskegon, you know, the Lumberjacks of the, what is it? Of that league is really good for their development. And then, those kids sometimes go to uh, the NCAA route. Wait, mm-hmm. when you say lumberjacks, you saying like the Granite City Lumberjack? Because that's 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 a team I'm familiar with. But unless you're Muskegon, talking, like, something different. Out in the, it's it's somewhere out in like I think it's Indiana or oh, Ohio. Sure. Someone can. I'm trying to remember it correctly, but um, yeah, I have. I have a connection with um with that franchise. Oh sure. Um, so so yeah, I I was told about that um that prospect. And uh Steve Cordiano did a really good job and uh he actually mentioned Gaffney in his report in the top like three hundred players uh mm-hmm. scouted that he did and he's he's one of my favorite sources for Draft stuff. See, I see Gaffney going anywhere from 160 overall to maybe like two, like the early 200s. But I think he'll he'll find a nice middle, and I wouldn't be surprised because after the first round, anything is possible. Teams will take flyers on you know even late first round. We saw the Islanders kind of go off the board and get uh, Simon Holmstrom. He's a Swedish kid who's been playing in the SHL, I believe. But, you know, he was kind of projected to go, like, mid-second round later, and Lula and Rose just take him, bring him right up. So, yeah, see, I feel like after that, that second round, any, after that first round, anything can happen. Great. Like, One of – Like, 
me personally, like with the, the the NFL draft, like you know we we've got like you know lists and projections and like you know it's all pretty padded down, but then you actually get into a draft and then it's off the wall. You know you got you got guys that you think are going to go in the first round, and they go in the third. You know it's that's I feel like that happens with like every like with every sport. Yeah, de- right now, especially, or last year, you know, I had all my paper. That was the first draft where I was, like, down and dirty. I had all my papers in front of me of everyone's stats, and I, like, sat there. No surprise, you know, Hughes first, Kako second. Comes the third pick. All right, Chicago. I said they were taking their their hometown kid, Alex Turcott, and it's Kirby Doc, and it's Bowen Byram. And uh, Turcotte gets selected fifth overall. And there from out, I was right on one thing, and that was Billy Hainola. Billy Hainola. Going to one of The The, fin, the yes. fin. The, the finished defenseman. Eight games played this year, five points. That's not bad. <laughs> that's, that's remarkable. Yeah. Actually, um, I've watched uh, – when I was looking at the draft uh, reviews, I learned about – uh, through YouTube, I learned learned it through Will Scouch. I was like, I was watching everything, and then it got to New Jersey. I was like, he started challenging my my grading on certain prospects, and uh, I started becoming a patron of his on Patreon because of his constructive criticism. I couldn't help it, and I was like, I really like the way he does this, and um, I used to like thoroughly keep scouting players and now I just like I just listen to what he has to say then I kind of like watch and I do write certain notes about players in their draft season and then I looked upon like a year later after writing about Nolan Foote and I was like god damn I was right (laughs) yeah here you keep going and and that's why I keep a notebook because Sometimes you might catch lightning in a bottle. Um, but I had two guys I wanted the Devils to get in the second and third round. Um, Matt Sugard, the the goaltender that played in – That Detroit took, no, I believe. Was it Ottawa, Ottawa? Who did Detroit take? Because I know they took a goalie. Let me uh, – I'll look at that. Um, you and keep then going. my other favorite player I wanted the Devils to also get was uh, Connor McMichael, who to me looked like a, a younger, more electric version of a Zach Parise. And he played really well for the London Knights. And he was absolutely dynamite during that season. And I couldn't help but drool uh, watching him during that season. Yeah, so um, like you like going back to what you said about you know listening to other guys and getting their feedback and then adding it to yours. That's why I have a lot of respect for guys like Craig Button because he's watching two hundred prospect games in a like a single calendar year, and a lot of people give him criticism for you know oh Hendrix Lapierre is not a top ten pick. At the end of the day, he probably watches more junior games than you do, and he definitely does me. I'll probably sit. I'll probably watch. 25 to 50 junior games a year, and I'll be scattered throughout the leagues. I'll watch a few KHL, SHL, um, CHL games, like maybe one USHL game a year, but 
you know, just learning like some stuff from him, you know, I, I disagree with him a lot sometimes. Like when he had, um, who was it? Uh, Alexander Holtz, he had like, I think a 4.5 out of five for his shot. And I was just like, no, I've seen this kid a lot. I've seen his highlights. I've seen him play games. That's a five out of five. five yeah. I was going to say, uh, when I look at Alexander Holtz's shot, his shot to me is the best in this draft. I know Alexi Lafreniere is the best overall player in this draft, but when you're talking about snipers and overall right wing shooters and wingers, um, to me, it's absolutely Alexander Holtz. I, I do like Lucas Raymond, but um, the Devils need an absolute sniper. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I mean, it's going to be a challenge to see if Raymond gets past pick number six. Um, but with the Devils at seven, I see them getting one of the two, and I'll be happy with that. And I've definitely been checking up more on uh, Marco Rossi because I've seen, you know, some people have his advanced stats, and I'm looking at them like these are better than Alexi Lafreniere. But he's not; he's definitely not challenging for that first overall pick. But, you know, he's a damn good player. And if he somehow falls to seventh, I think every Devils fan should be – like, out of their seats. Uh, He's such a good player. Here, here's what um, people should be aware of about um, Marco Rossi. When I watch video of him, he is – he may be a little bit smaller, but don't let that fool you. His body mass index and his physicality is what makes up for it. And given the fact that we have a lot of smaller frame players – they play with a lot of speed, skill, and they're making up with it uh, in a new form of grit and physicality. And he has a nose for the net, and he is swift. And uh, Todd Cordell did put out there that he does stick handle like Matthew Barzal. And to me, that makes up a lot of, uh, of the other um, traits in his, uh, in his skill set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Mark Rossi, like you were saying, he just his all around game is excellent. You know, I'm when I'm looking at this, um, or the draft, I'm looking at three guys I want the Devils to get, and it's Raymond Holtz and Rossi. I think Perfetti. Uh, there was a lot of rumors that Perfetti was going to uh, Detroit at fourth overall, and you know, I wouldn't be surprised because Steve Eisman and his crew, his amateur scouting. It never fails to amaze me of like who they pick and then looking back and it was the right pick like to cider or to choose. Like yeah, like cider. He he was projected to go eleven to twenty. He gets picked at sixth overall. He might be one of the better defensemen to come out of that draft. He had an excellent season in the AHL. And if there is a player that does that from the defense that goes in that very high, it's Jake Sanderson who Jake Sanderson, definitely. Um, I'm not sure if the Devils are going to jump on him right away because, to me, I find the defense – not the defenseman, but the forward in Holtz and Raymond to be higher ceiling guys. But um, mm-hmm. I do like Sanderson if it's, like, more than 10, like, at 11 or later. And using that Arizona pick, if that ends up being in the 10 to 12 range, you know, Sanderson's definitely a guy I want to jump I, on. Cause I, I would, I would, I, I would I, jump I, on him at that range. 
yeah, I I wasn't too high on him. And then I looked a few of his interviews, see his personality, you know, see what he thinks his play is, what his ceiling. I believe his father played in the yes. NHL too. Uh, Don't remember his name. Uh, Jeff. Jeff said, yeah, Jeff uh, Sanderson. Uh, but Sanderson's more of that defensive guy, and he's a really good skater. So, you know, that 10, that 10 12 range, 13 maybe, you know, I I definitely take a flyer on Yeah, him. for for me, um, I had Dennis Bernstein on uh, earlier, like a few months ago, and he was talking about how the Kings could benefit um, through the draft and see where they jumped is at two. And they're going to get either Stutzla or they're going to get Byfield. And in my opinion – uh, I believe they're getting an Andre Kopitar type player in Quinton Byfield. To me, he is um, this generation's uh, Evgeny Malkin with the size and the speed of a Kopitar. But um, they definitely lucked out. Um, the Devils are in a perfect situation. And I think it's what. Um, the 10th of August that we have to wait until the second phase of the lottery um, takes place. Mm -hmm. uh, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's definitely going to be, that's definitely going to be a, you know, a big question because there, I could name a million teams. I don't want him going <laughs> to. And in my mock draft, I just had in Minnesota picking him <laughs> just cause I think we were talking about him. Minnesota really needs a guy like that. Or Montreal, they needed an all-star forward, and I'm just kind of thinking, you know, what happens if you have Lafreniere and Kaprizov on the same line? That is scary, and that would boost Minnesota out of the like mediocre hole that they are, good but not good enough, and just put them be like in front of every team. It, it yeah, to an extent, like how the Devils did benefit from 2017 and 2019. Yeah, with, with the draft lottery balls in our favor, um, we did benefit from it. But I will say this about Lindy Ruff is that, you know, he had the benefit of, you know, star caliber players and Sagan and Ben to get those players, you know, careers re rewrited. And I believe he's going to tap into that untapped potential with Jack Hughes and Heischer plus maybe Subban. And um, I do think Fitzgerald is going to go out there. He's going to get a new uh, defensive coach that can complement and help out this team strategically on the, on the blue line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, last time I checked, you know, Lindy Ruff, he was saying all how he's going to, He's throwing all relationships away. You know, I it's kind of upsetting because, you know, Lane Nazardin, you got to pay his respects to him. He did his job at the end of the year. And then Mike Greer, who was interesting because he used to play under Lindy Ruff when uh, Ruff was Buffalo's coach. Um, and we all know Mike Greer is one of the weirder, like not, not a household name, but a lot of people forget. And I do believe this, but not 100% sure. He has played in a thousand NHL games. And I have respect for that. If you played in a thousand games, I have respect for you, and you should be a coach. But I'm not sure if he's, you know, the coach I want, because he just kind of skipped everything. You know, for a coach, you like start off, you know, in midgets, you jump up maybe juniors, college, and then you make that jump to the NHL. 
Or if you were like an elite player and, you know, you had over a thousand points or for like Patrick Waugh, who just came right into the NHL coaching picture. And then, you know, he made and it then back. he went back down to the Quebec Ramparts to coach. Yeah. Yeah. It's And like, I, I really wanted a guy like Dale Hunter. Like he's definitely a name we all remember. He's yeah, say what you want about him. He's a dirty player. And he did have it in a thousand games. I do believe too, but he's a damn good coach. And I will, I will back you up there is that you see all these London Knights teams. And I told you why I like uh, McMichael. It, it feels like they keep pumping out all-stars every year, like Marner, Kane. Like that list just is, goes on and on it, and it, on. It is an ongoing – it's like the New York Yankees of uh, junior hockey, major junior hockey, and they just keep pumping them into the NHL draft. And you see all these really great mm-hmm. players, and I think – you know, the way they could have, the doubles could have gotten Hunter, but I don't think um, the timing was right for mm-hmm. a coach like him. And I believe they wanted someone who could be what I call the the progressive coach where he progresses the team forward. And then do you get, he's not really, there to- do you get him or yeah, do you get Gronberg three years later? Now, I'm not really sure about that. That's like a question I've been asked multiple times, and I love answering it because it's it's interesting. It picks my brain a lot. I've definitely heard that Lindy Ruff, oh, his hiring was just, you know, a two-year filler for Gronberg down the road. And like you said, um, he he's there to just progress the team, maybe not to go to a Stanley Cup, but to – Kickstart, you know, Hugh Jackie's career, Nico Heeshear, Jesper Bratt, Ty Smith, Kevin Ball, Nikito Koyak, help Mackenzie Blackwood. Um, I think What are you thinking? Almost like Charlie? Bird coming from his league, but it's gonna be two or three years down the road. Most likely. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say um, when I started following the Swiss league, the NLA, um, the high league, I started noticing, you know, it used to be burn and then SC burn started dropping. Um, what's her name? Jumped in. Uh, she's the former goaltender. Mm-hmm. But anyways, uh, Zurich lions is one of those teams that, I was more familiar with it. It's like every season you see that they're like first overall and or somewhere near first overall in their division or in the league. And you can see how Ricard Grunberg has that, um, that, that Swedish and North American style of hockey that he brings to the Zurich Lions in, in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And from what I've listened in a in a video on Dragger Cafe that um, Gronberg uses a hybrid of that form of hockey and uses analytics. So I can see why um, the analytics guys only gave Ruff uh, an idea of two years or three years, no more, mm-hmm. is that they wanted to, kick, like you said, kickstart these players up. Yeah, and I have watched a little bit of Ricard Grunberg and his coaching. You know, he's a very tough coach to play for. Um, I've spoken with one of their players. I'm not going to say his name, but 
he's he says that he's definitely a down and dirty coach. He'll make sure he will not stop until everything is right. So I think, you know, especially for the Devils, that's something they need to work on. And if I were a Devils fan and, you know, two, three years down the road, Devils did good. They progressed on Hughes' and Heischer's career. Lindy Roth did his business. He's done here. You know, maybe you could put him as like an assistant coach to help with the defense and you know, penalty killing. But I think he's a better coach off on his own when he's in charge. So if that does happen, then I don't see him returning to New Jersey. But, you know, I still have respect for Roth and what he does. And I think he's going to be an important guy two, three years down the road. Yeah, and I know a lot of um, other Devils fans give him a lot of flack on social media. Mm-hmm. I usually don't like to pay attention to that, but giving back to those people, you know, like we said, we're they're going to get their boots onto the ground, move forward, and if they can succeed um, him with the right guy, whether it's Grunberg or some other coach down the road, you can see that maybe Patrick Elias down the road comes in as the assistant coach to lead, you know, the power play or something like that mm-hmm. um, to connect with the players. Um, I know Elias does work with a team in certain capacities. Yes. And I've seen, and I've seen him as the Czech uh, national team assistant coach. And mm-hmm. the past few, uh, the past two U U18, U20s, he just seems to have a really good knack to be a, a really good assistant coach at the highest levels. Yeah, um, I think Elias is doing an incredible job. He his love for the game is just outstanding. You know, he he loves everything Devils. You know, he took a pay cut to stay with the team, and he stayed with them his whole career. And I always love going back to this, and I think you might remember this when he had. His either was his jersey retirement or when he was dropping the puck after he retired from the National Hockey League, he went right through the fans. You know, some people, you can't do that. But he was so comfortable with the fans in Jersey, and he has earned that respect from the fans. He's the best forward in New Jersey history. You know, I, he, I, I, do, I do remember um, he was on his last few games – and he was doing a lot of fan interaction stuff, not to uh, mess with your tempo there, but he did um, stop and sign pucks. And um, for me in 2011, 2012, um, he did sign, you know, my Jersey. And I did ask him about um, the, the Spanish league uh, for soccer because he's a big soccer fan. Mm-hmm. And um, when he did retire, they um, got that special seat for him. And I s- sat in one of those seats because my friend is a season ticket holder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I was a season ticket holder over that time. What because we had the partial plan, I don't think we got it. But yeah, those seats, like just him walking through the fans, meant so much to me. You know, I didn't get to see his career a lot. I did get to see his final goal, which is a special moment for me. Because going back, he's done he's done so much for this organization. It's incredible, and you know you can't pay it in picks and prospects like. Lou Lamarell didn't have the heart to trade him, nor was he ever on the trade block. But like I said, when he signed that contract, he wanted to stay in Jersey. And a lot of people say that, like John Tavares, when he was about to leave the Islanders, he said, midway through the season, I'm going to stay here. That's my plan. But I'm not making my decision until it's the summer. 
And once he started, you know, he left. You know what's funny is like um I know we're changing organizations on this one. Um, Mark Bergevin said, oh, we're not trading P.K. Subban or this and that player. Mm -hmm. But to me, that's like code word for, yes, I am trading this player. And you, 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 and you obviously read that. um, Now this good. Now this is getting back to the Brock Besser thing. You see that um, talking about the whole Besser thing is not true. Um, it's kind of like code word for saying it is true. The rumors were true, but it's still up in the air. Yeah, I get where that's I get where that's coming from completely. But I kind of, I'm going back to the last time I was on this podcast. I said that things in the game of hockey they change in the snap of fingers. You know, one morning you wake up, you think he's your star player, and next you hear one little thing, something that he does, an action or something that he says, and it changes that. Or your mindset changes. Oh, you know what? Well, they gave me a good deal. I can't deny it. I'm going to trade him. That's the game of hockey. Yeah. That's how the GMs really come down to. And ownership does play a role. And we did see how um, Tom Fitzgerald took, you know, the helm. And he did – end up making a, a uh, what was it, a Binghamton player signing already. So he started Yes, to Ryan Schmelzer, um, I believe. Schmelzer, yes. So Binghamton has one of their key players back um, in one of those smaller, more important roles. Um, yeah, Schmelzer was a top has, penalty killer for the B-Devils. So and he has scored a handful of shorthand goals in the AHL that year. So he's definitely an important piece. And I believe when he did sign that contract, he said – we have unfinished business to do. And it was a pleasure watching Binghamton this year because they were so dynamic. And especially when the New Jersey Devils are, being, are playing bad, you know, you look down there and you just have a hope filled dream that, you know, these players one day they're going to be wearing the NJ for their crest. And that's the future of right. the team. And, you know, when you talk about those shorthanded goals and those penalty kills, it makes me think of Brian Gibbons. And uh, Blake Coleman. What, what a gem as a tandem. was. And so was P.A. Parent. They didn't play penalty kill minutes, but I did an article a while back saying some of the best waiver claims and free agents that Ray Shiro has done. The low risk, high reward, which I talked to you about personally. No, those guys that they don't really take much, you know, very little amount of money, less than a million. And a guy like Gibbons, who started the year dynamically, I think he had like 10 goals and he, like, towards the middle end of the season, he really stopped producing points, but he was still a penalty-killing guy. And then Steph Nason, too, um, was a waiver claim. Mm-hmm. And he ended up I recall he was under a million. Yes, I believe he was around the 800,000, but he was a big guy, especially when he scored the only game-winner, game-winning goal for New Jersey in 2018. I remember the first game was his – well, the first game – um, I went to that season was the game where they just picked him up. Of course, I didn't know that much about hockey at the time. You know, I knew Mike Camilleri scored the game, but I believe he had at least he did have a goal that game. I don't know if he had two. He might have, but I remember he just picked up the puck and ripped it past Braden Holpe, and it was um, a throwback night because I remember the old-fashioned uh, goal horn went off when he scored. So, yeah, the nineties and the uh, yeah for me. You know, I was actually at one of those games, and um, 
you see how they bring in those old they call them Christmas jerseys mm-hmm. um, gr- green and red and sometimes you know when you go on like I take the train up to uh, the games from Ashbury Park up to Newark Penn Station I see people wearing those like green and red Scott Stevens jerseys Dano jerseys mostly Brodeur <laughs> it's always Brodeur you it's typically Brodeur but like Someone else that doesn't do the Brodor, it's usually Stevens. Yeah, or Danico. So once in a while you see a Lemieux jersey. I mean, mm-hmm. Claude. That yeah. Is. But, um, yeah, it's definitely, like, when I saw Steph Nason, he usually brings a lot of, like, grit and his scoring. Like, my favorite moment was him scoring against the Carolina Hurricanes before the when he got his rebound playoffs against Tampa. Yeah, I remember that. That was great. That was <laughs> a, that was the last. Like, that was like scored in the last two minutes, right? Just to put it, New Jersey something... ahead. I think four three after a hard fought game, and they ended up getting an empty netter. I think the final was five three. And Hall, I think, scored that um, empty netter. If I'm correct, I believe so. And yeah, it it was crazy. But um, Angelo, I call. do. It's Nason. It's Nason. Yes, I, I actually, you know, I miss hearing that voice because, you know, I miss hearing Doc Emmerich's voice very badly. Mm-hmm. And it's not the same when, you know, I, I do like it when he's doing a Chicago game because I do like hearing Chelsea Dagger. But um, it's but it does feel great when Cangelosi does it. And then you hear the devil's horn blare and then you have Howl chiming in after and i know fans like want to change the goal song back to the old one but it ain't happening no that's it's long gone because a lot of fans forget the nhl banned it it wasn't the devils who opted to change it It wasn't another team it was the nhl after gary glitter committed the crimes that he did it's no longer going to be the NHL. anyone can google search that thing i mean we all know it's just we don't want to talk about the actual thing. It's too gross. Um, we want to keep it PG yeah. or something like that. Uh, keep it kosher, as we say. Um, but I do like the fact that um, they did make it very Jersey. Um, and they did vote on it again. And, you know, Howell won. And I voted for it multiple times. I voted for Howell, too, because I was disappointed in the, you know, the top ones that came out. And I think New Jersey kind of – Bluffed it a little bit. I don't think the fans wanted uh, Don't Stop Me Now by Queen, you know, being our goal song. So I was like, yep, let's vote Howell again and again. Let's try again next year. And then uh, Hip Hop Hooray was like the second runner-up. And then it became the victory song, which wasn't heard that much. Yeah. But it's not Howell's – I mean, it's not, you know, you know the, the, the fans choosing the song. It's just the – the product on the ice hasn't been there yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that's a lot of things. If a lot of fans have come forward and say, you know, it's cringy, you know, when we're chanting, you suck, and we're still down 6 1. Yeah, it's one of those, how do I put this, fan etiquette? And I want to mention all that extra stuff for another podcast, but like for me, that's one of the things I, I feel bittersweet doing because. You know, when it's a season like that, I don't feel like doing that. But, like, I do like to do the woo still, you know. It's it's second nature now with the woo. 
With New, <laughs> New Jersey's, oh yeah, the woo. It's definitely iconic, and I hope it never goes away. I hope you know my grandkids and their grandkids. If New Jersey's still <laughs> playing in Jersey, I want to see when Ric Flair, when he's like three hundred years, you know, past his due. I want to hear that woo throughout Prudential Center. And I want to hear between intermissions the curly shuffle. Yes, that's still. Too. And I got to see the mites on ice. I need. Yeah, I need to see that. Um, the Ellie. The um, what was it? It was the Dano, Chico, and Patty things. I, I. That's fairly new, but I still want to see that too. Yeah, those are some of the small intangibles and in, uh, and the and the teams. Uh, game day operations that they do that for fan entertainment while uh, what's his name Ke- Kevin Clark is still calling play by play for that. <laughs> yeah, I, I love <laughs> Kevin Clark. He's he's so nice with the fans and um, he is a fan. He's he's definitely the voice of New Jersey. Him, Mike Emmerich, you know Ken Danico and Steve Kendrick. Those are the four voices of New Jersey, in my opinion. Actually, you know what? For the next show, we should have a what's it called a ring of honor and we got to get on someone with that too and see where where it leads yeah i'll I'll definitely see if i can you know work something out oh definitely and um any last bits that you want to plug in no i got nothing i've been on this podcast a lot before this you know book was time on twitter that's it and There'll be plenty more next week, and uh, this is the Heads Up Hockey Podcast with Jersey Joe and and there you go, fans, and um, have a good rest of your week, and we'll be back back. to be back next week. Peace out.